Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit enrichmentretreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. Notice what it says, please, in Romans 8, 26 and 27. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then if you have your Bibles, look at uh, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, okay? And then we'll go there from, from there to First Peter 3, okay? But first of all, let's look at uh, Brother James. And let's look at chapter 4. Verse number 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is the enmity with God, is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy, but he giveth more grace? Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves on the side of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth, and, judgeth, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. And then 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. And here it talks about the woman submitting herself to her own husbands. And then it said this most important verse, verse 7, chapter 3. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get right on with a message here. Um, I'm taking that bite out of the watermelon again today, okay? But I'll do the best I can, so please gather these scattered thoughts here, and I pray that God will help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for the good message we heard from your servant, Brother Redlin. We thank you for all the messages that we've heard uh, this week and how they have personally benefited me. We pray for some shoe leather Christianity in this hour, something we can walk in, something we can use, and that everything would redound to your honor and to your glory. We promise to give you the praise for thou alone art worthy in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, amen. You may be seated, please. I'm uh, reversing my thought patterns for the message today. I was going to start off with things that help in our prayer life and then close off with things that hinder. But I'm going to deal with the negative first, if I can, because the negative can be very positive in the long run, but then on the very positive vein. First of all, um, let's talk about what hinders our prayer, okay? 
and I think we see it from Scripture, and it's an interesting passage of Scripture there in James chapter 4, this great first pastor of the church of Jerusalem. So he, what he tells us is that what prayer hinders is lack of prayer. See, everybody that's saved really believes in prayer. So it's not that we don't believe in prayer, it's just that we're not doing it enough. The word of God said there in James chapter 4, you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight in war, <clears throat> yet you have not because you ask not. <clears throat> not only is there a great divisive thing that is being pointed out, is, but, but what is happening is the divisive thing is being pointed out as diversionary too. There's a lot of times that many times in our uh, fighting, even when we are right, we just dwell on that too much and we leave off the main thing. I know you've heard this before. Everybody has. The main thing is to keep the main thing. That's so true. Did you hear about that guy that was really, you know, I was a kid. I remember when there was no warning on cigarette packages. And then I remember when there was a warning that came up on the cigarette patches, packages, warning this may be hazardous to your health. And then it was years later, it is determined to be hazardous to your health. I can remember doctors uh, prescribing smoking to calm one's nerves. So, honest to God, that was the prescription. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was talking to a pharmacist last week, and they were talking about, is the CBD kind of a stuff? Is that okay? Is it not okay? And they said, hey, did you know they found out that tobacco, people that use tobacco uh, never get Alzheimer's? Duh, they don't live long enough. <laughs> I mean, he was trying to make a point. How ridiculous is that? Of course, if you cut off 20 years of your life, you don't get it probably. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? But, but this guy was on a crusade when, when, when it became understood that smoking was hazardous to your health, and he began to preach and just preach like anything against tobacco. Not only did he preach it, but he practiced what he preached. He'd see people, and he'd, they'd have cigarettes in their mouth. He'd grab the cigarette, and he'd throw it down and stomp on it. I mean, just walk up to strangers, grab the cigarettes, and stomp on it. He finally died of cancer of the foot. So... <laughs> Cancer. That was really uncalled for, wasn't it? Okay. There are a lot of things that happen to divert us away from the main thing. If you don't believe that there is a diversionary spiritual warfare against praying, go ahead and set a goal to pray for a certain time every day. Unbelievable things will happen. You may have to put your phone into another room, turn the thing off, you know, um, go, go to a different place and do this on purpose. But many times we don't realize it or not, but our prayer becomes very rote, becomes a vain repetition because we're doing it to get out of the way. I love the phrase of scripture, Eliezer, and being in the way, the Lord led me. We need to be in his way, not our way. You ever thought about his way? At the most critical hour of our Lord's life, he says to his disciples, hours before he's to die for our sins, he says, could you not watch with me for one hour? It's interesting, isn't it? We'll be dealing with this later. But 
In numerology, there's sometimes guesswork. Some things are pretty well understood. Everybody says seven, the number of perfection, eight, the number of new beginnings, multiply it by 10, 40 years in the wilderness, now we have a new beginning. I think we understand that. But six is the number of man. Do you realize that in the model prayer, there are six basic points? Multiply that by 10. By the way, man at his worst, 666, right? But take six points for men, because that's the model prayer. The Lord never needed to pray, forgive debts or trespasses, right? We do. Model pra- the Lord's prayer is John 17. Model prayer is John, Matthew 6 and Luke 11, right? So we see that uh, if you multiply 6 times 60, you got 60 minutes. In the years of my ministry, which March 29th will be 50 years, constant preaching for 50 years. And, that, and that's being reared on the preacher's own, but I'm telling you, the, the most amazing thing Something supernatural seems to happen to a person who lives with an hour in the presence of God every day. Could you not watch with me for one hour? You know, the Lord, it seems like to me, if he's going to be in Gethsemane, there's going to be a great trauma that's going to happen. Could you not pray with me till the guards get here? Could you not pray with me all night? But he said, no, could you, could you give me one hour? It could make a difference. So many times I think what we don't realize is that a hindrance to prayer It's not that we don't believe in prayer and not that we don't pray, it's that we don't pray enough. If Matthew, if Acts chapter 6 is true, and it is true, and that we are to give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer, that's a lot of time. That's our job, you know. Many times we don't get our prayers answered because we have the wrong motive. Verse 3, chapter 4, James, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. And so we see another problem, don't we? That we're praying with a wrong motive in mind. This is why having a lot of time in the presence of the Lord is so good because it can filter out the wrong motive very quickly. Selfishness does not last in a lengthy prayer meeting. I mean, it just simply can't. And so, um, so I would ask you to consider that we have the wrong motive. And then I would say number three, and this is an easy thing to understand, we don't get our hair, hair, prayers answered. So this is a great hindrance to prayer because we embrace disobedience. In Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard it, so Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you, but you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that, ye, that he will not hear. And so if we embrace disobedience, then you might as well get your broom and sweep it off the ceiling. It didn't get any further than that. We cannot embrace disobedience and get our prayers answered. One of the most frustrating things is seeing people just really beat their head against the wall because they're not dealing with a sin in their life. Gypsy Smith said this, how to have revival. Take a piece of chalk and draw a circle. Step inside the circle and say, Lord, send revival inside this circle. Amen. And then chapter 3 of uh, of, uh, 1 Peter really nails on something that I think is not said enough. Likewise, your husbands, dwell with them, our wives, according to knowledge. 
Years ago, there was a kind of a, a kidding uh, joke that was said, there's two ways of understanding a woman, but nobody's figured out either way, right? <laughs> Who can understand a woman? Yeah. I know it's hard. Women are not like men, and men are not like women. Dwell with them according to, you learn a lot of profound truths when you come here, don't you? But, and then it says, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, when it says weaker vessel, it doesn't mean that she's less than. The way that I like to, when I look at this in the context of the, of the, of the passage of Scripture, when it says weaker vessel, gentlemen, it's like you and I are iron pots. They are fine bone china. Don't break them. They're very sensitive. So it doesn't say, if she doesn't understand your iron potness, then that's her problem. Not according to the word of God. It says, dwell with them according to knowledge. That means your life should be caught up in wifeology 101, marriage 202. Studying your wife. There are so many things that I've learned about my wife. 46 years of marriage, and I'm still in the learning process. But it takes really time to begin to understand what is happening. Things that could offend, things that would not be right. In understanding the wife, we need to understand also how sensitive she is. And so when we begin to take our role as the head of the home, we must understand that in the same way that in the body, the head doesn't get upset because the hand's not functioning, and he takes this hand and whams it, you know what I mean? Very sensitive to what's happening in that hand, I'm telling you. Get a little splinter in it, yeah, and and, and you just, oh, me. Honey, you have a pen. i got to get rid of this splinter. Oh, you he-man, you can put 400 pounds above your chest, but one little splinter and you're going nuts because it's your body. So the Bible points out that woman was taken from man, right? Literally taken out of man. And uh, I know this is kind of romantic, but this is an old saying that I, I don't know who originally said it, probably some poet or something. They said, God did not take from the feet of man to make a woman so that he might trample over her. Neither did he take from the head of man to make a woman so that he might have merely an intellectual cerebral relationship. But he took from the side of man, man's rib, close to his heart, under his arms that he might embrace her and love her. Isn't that nice? You know what the girls would say right now? <sighs> but see, girls are different men. You ever know? Guys don't do this, right? Hey, did you see me fumble the ball? Can you believe it? You know? Okay. So we dwell with them according to knowledge, right? Now, we quoted this yesterday, but it's so true, 1 Corinthians 7. Um. Matter of fact, let me go ahead and do this. First Corinthians 7. Um, I started to say, I don't have time to do this. Hey, it's the word of God. When my anecdotes will fail, my illustrations will fail, the word will never, all right? Notice what it says in verse number 3, chapter 7. Likewise, the husband, render unto the wife due benevolence, what she deserves, what she needs. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband, 
The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband also, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except that we consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fast and a prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Now I'm going to speak very plain, because this is a very plain passage of Scripture. So God says, when you are married, don't take from one another what is the benevolent thing to do. True love always starts in the soul. Song of Solomon 1.7, O thou whom my soul loveth. Okay? The physical relationship between a man and a woman is the manifestation of or expression of love. Sex is not love. Sex is the expression of your love. I love you, I want to please you, therefore I give myself to you to please you to meet your needs. And not to give yourself one to another is not meeting the need. You have not power over your own body, but the wife, the wife has not power over her own body, but the husband. And many times, even in the work of God, we can get so caught up working for God that we neglect each other. And when you neglect each other, the love will fade if you're not giving the due benevolence. If it becomes mere cerebral, or if you're walking over them, then you're forgetting the concept of close to the heart and under the arm, aren't you? And I will tell you this with young people, more is caught than taught. You can't fake being in love. You can't fake the relationship you have being a very warm, cordial, reciprocal relationship if it's not warm and cordial and reciprocal. A couple of times in my marriage counseling as a pastor, I've had people say this. Actually, probably more than a couple of times, but I was able to address it like this. But the Pope, my husband and I are just not getting along. I don't always tell. They don't have to tell me. Uh, she sits over here on the sofa. He sits over here on the sofa. But I love it when, when on the third counseling, they're right here. Amen. I don't even, it's a shorter counseling. Amen. Uh, so anyway, we're not getting along with each other. And so I'm going to go stay with my mom and dad for three months. And he's going to stay in the apartment or stay in the house. What do you think about that? I said, okay, fine. Remember. Don't eat. They said, what? No, it's okay if you go stay with your mom for three months and he stays in the apartment. Just remember, don't eat. They said, what do you mean? I said, the Bible only gives you permission to come apart and live apart from one another and withhold sexually even from one another on one condition and one condition only. Fasting. Now, I'm not going to chase a rabbit here, but I will tell you this. If any of you have ever done any type of prolonged fasting, there is a point, and I've talked to medical professionals about this, and they've agreed. It's true. There is a point in your fasting and prayer where all libido is virtually down. By the way, that's why prolonged fasting can be incredibly powerful because what fasting does, it takes away the diversion completely, even of sexual desire, just to 
You say, well, I, I, that, no, I can't imagine that. You've never fasted long. No, if you get to a long fast, it is not going to even be possible to be together as a husband and wife, probably. I mean, I have never taken surveys. Yeah. It's very quiet in here right now, isn't it? Like, I, I thought we were talking about prayer. What is this? What, what is this? Oh, anyway, okay, but anyway. Um, so God says, except to be for fasting and prayer, remember what it said? Lest Satan tempt you for your what? In what? Incon- would somebody tell me what does that mean? Incontinency. Help me. Anybody? No control. So when you know you you may not think of this thing as being spiritual, but I'm telling you, when you are together on a fairly regular basis, and by the way, regular is what is regular with you. I am very. How can I say it? Turned off by these people who believe what regular has to be. It is extremely quiet in here. Okay, now, okay, whatever's regular for both of you, and that means what you are both comfortable with. By the way, let me just slow this down because you're, you're saying, why are you saying this? Because if this isn't right, your prayers don't get answered. Do you understand that? You dwell with them according to the knowledge. Or your prayers are hindered. God said, you get along big time or I'm not talking to you. I don't want to live without God's voice. I mean, if God says, and he did 15 times in the scripture, let he that hath ears hear, I want to hear what God has to say. And if God said, your prayers are hindered. If it's not right between you and your spouse, then I'm going to make sure it's right. So the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, um, gentlemen and lady, okay, or there's a couple ladies in here, okay. Um, this is a spiritual thing. Lest your prayers be hindered. God says, when you are together as husband and wife, even those that have the regular situation physically, there can always be temptation. But if you put the regular loving relationship between you and your spouse coupled with regular prayer, I'm telling you, that is the greatest defense against immorality anywhere. By the way, early on in our marriage, I wanted to determine to dwell with my wife according to knowledge What is best in the matter of counseling? My wife is extremely comfortable with me not being alone with another woman in the room. So therefore, in my entire pastoral life, I'm not alone with women in a room by themselves. Sometimes age will help. My secretary is 87 years old. That really helps. So as I walk through here, this is great. Uh, she was my wife's Sunday school teacher in the fourth grade. She was my daughter's Sunday school teacher. Now she's my granddaughter's teacher. You know, that helps. Okay. But when it's time for somebody to counsel, remember this girl came out and she said, Pastor, i got to talk to you. I said, okay, just remember, Mrs. Lord, yes, my secretary is Mrs. Lord. Mrs. Lord and my wife will be with me in the counseling. Oh, Brother Pope. <sighs> 
this is so personal, I want them to hear it. I said, wow, if it's that personal, I don't need to be in the room. You go talk to Mrs. Lord by yourself. By the way, that's scriptural, isn't it? The older or the aged women are to teach the younger women. And I'm just going to chase a little rabbit here. Gentlemen, where do you get off that you're the fountain of all wisdom to help women? The Bible says the aged women should teach them, not you, bozo. You're not Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil's not even Dr. Phil. Come on. He's a bozo. I don't, hey, come on. Nobody has helped Mrs. Barbara Pope more than the older women. How much time do we have? I'm getting phone calls. I shouldn't be doing this. Okay. Um, is it 9.57? Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Okay, here. Here go. Hey. Um, so dwell with them according to knowledge, okay? And, and I'm just, I think I need, I need to leave that. You, how many got what I said, okay? Okay. Lack of self-control, you don't need that, okay? You, you, you don't need lack, you don't need a lack of self-control. You need to have control. So dwell with them according to knowledge that your prayers be not hindered. Get to know each other, love one another. And what, have you ever wondered, why does God get so thrilled over the husband and wife relationship? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Hey, throw you out something real quickly, okay? Marriage seminar in two minutes. Are you ready for this? How do I love my wife as, as, as Christ loved his church? Unconditionally. This guy says to his wife, hey, when you get to be 40, I'm going to trade you in for 220s. I said, buddy, you ain't wired for 220s. You better stay with the 40, amen? <laughs> That's right. Hey, you love her unconditionally. Yeah. Hey, I remember when Twiggy made getting thin popular, and that's what a lot of people still say. Hey, thin is in. The older I get, I, I like this saying, fat's where it's at. Come on. <laughs> Got more to love, hallelujah. But, but there's no way that a woman can have four kids and get stretch marks and look like she did when you met her. Come on. Be glad that she marries you. My wife married a guy that had hair. Bummer. Now look, one thing I can never understand, why a woman love a pot-bellied husband, a bald-headed man. Amen. I mean, they can put up with you. I remember there was a man in our church, and I, and I rebuked this big time. He was big as a barn. If he fell over front, front rows, he'd rock himself to sleep. If his wife gained a little bit of weight, he would put her on a diet. I felt like saying, it's okay for you to be big, but you don't want your wife to be big. I say, let her be big too, amen. But no, I know, we ought not to be gluttons, but you know, we can always blame it on glands. Anyway, so you love her. Un- <laughs> I love that, right? <laughs> my, my metabolism, I like that one. Is that a good one? Yeah. Okay, you love them unconditionally, no matter how they look. Um, okay, dwell with them according to knowledge. I've got to hurry. So don't let anything hinder your prayer. But you do get some helps when you're prayer. This is so good. Um, the Lord, the Bible says, helpeth our infirmities. Isn't that a beautiful thing? How many are glad that the Bible says that? The, aren't you glad the Bible also says we don't even know how to pray as we should? Aren't you glad the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be inside of us making prayers and utterances, or the, r- prayers that cannot be uttered? Hey, we were talking about those that believe in prayer language, those that don't know this or this. What about the prayers that can't even be uttered? Isn't that a beautiful thing? 
The Bible says that Moses was praying in Exodus 32, and he said, Lord, forgive them their sin, and then there was a dash. And you want to know how powerful that dash is? He was asking God to forgive four million people. In Psalm 106, 23 or 26, I can't remember which verse it is. Psalm 106, 23 or 26, I believe it's 20-something. And it says, God would have destroyed them had not Moses, as chosen, stood before him in the breach. One man, do you want to show you how powerful that one dash is? That one intercessory prayer saved four million people. Prayer made the difference. We don't know how to pray as we ought. That's why the Holy Spirit comes in us to help us. That Greek word help comes from a Greek word. Let me see if I can get this down. Suna telamam bamanai. One of the largest Greek words I've ever seen. It means together with, face to face, take hold of. There are three phrases in the word help in the Greek language. It's amazing how concise the Greek language, especially the koine, together with, face to face, take hold of. In Dr. A. T. Robertson's uh, word studies, uh, you know, I, I just really loved growing up um, Weiss word studies and, and Robinson's word studies. A.T. Robinson says of the word help, that long word, together with face-to-face take hold of, is the illustration of a man carrying a log. The Holy Spirit does not pray instead of us, he prays with us. In other words, the word help is like a man carrying a log, together face-to-face. Like if you and I are carrying a log, and I'm trying to do like this, and you're trying... We're going to have a hard time. So the best way to carry a very, very heavy log is go ahead and be face-to-face so we can see each other, so we don't misstep, so we can carry this log together face-to-face. That's what it means, help. God said through the Holy Spirit, I want to come in and I want to help you. Remember, God wants to hear your prayer. God wants to answer your prayer. God wants to help your infirmities more than you want him to help you. I want to tell you one of the most precious stories that I have ever, that I've ever come across to, to illustrate what I'm trying to illustrate on this. Ignacy Jan Paderewski, if I didn't pronounce that right, write it up that I'm not Polish, okay? Arguably one of the greatest pianists that ever lived, composer, pianist, Paderewski. Here you go, roll that R a little bit. When he came from Europe to America to do a group of concerts, I mean, it was big, very, very big. There was a little washerwoman in New York that was rearing her little boy by herself, lived on a meager income. You heard me tell this? Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. I hope it's the same one. Okay. Um, Hope I tell the same way, right? Yeah. And so when Paderewski was coming to New York, her little boy, she started giving him lessons at five years of age. And so he now wasn't beyond much five, six years of age. But she wanted an example, somebody that would fire him up. Sometimes a a boy will get an astronaut as a hero and want to become an astronaut like that growing up. 
I think about a young man in our church, Jeremy Williams, who uh, when he was in school, like in, in uh, junior high, in high school, he, would, he cut out John Hopkins Hospital and he put it on the wall because he wanted one day to practice there. Long story short, he got his medical degree, practice at John Hopkins. So you, you see what I'm saying? So, so he has kind of a template to, 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 to model by. So the mom rightly thought, if this kid could just see Paderewski, he could see what could happen if he learned to play the piano. He could come out of the caste system that I feel like we're in. He could get out of this income level that seems to strap us. So she saved up and saved up and saved up and got a seat for herself and a little boy to hear Paderewski. True story. And as many of you know, when you have a concert like this, you have some people that are very wealthy and contributors, but if they give enough, then they can have audience with the maestro or the composer or the pianist a little bit behind the curtain before the performance. So Paderewski was in this little area behind the curtain with some of the contributors, having a little social event, drinking their tea and eating their little crumpets. And the crowd was building, and now there was no seat in the house, and it was still a good while before it would begin. And the mother's sitting there with her little boy who's getting squirmier and squirmier by the moment. The little boy had noticed the ebony Steinway up on the stage. This was nothing like the broken down spinet that he was working on. He had never seen a Steinway, ever. And in the midst of his wiggling, he got this idea. Well, the mother had fallen in the conversation with the lady next to her. And she thought to herself, as many mother does, it's too quiet here, right? So she turns to see her little boy, and he's not there. By the time she catches where, his, where he's at, he's now up on the stage. And before she can get out into her seat, he has sat down and he's playing chopsticks on the Steinway. The crowd fell into a hush, and then the people began to get mean. Who is that kid? Get that kid down. What's going on? Paderewski heard the murmuring. The mother now filled with embarrassment. The little boy, oblivious to everything. Da, 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 da. True story. Paderewski grabbed his scissor tail coat, quickly put it on him, and he saw what was happening. And he came behind the boy and put one arm around him to the right and one arm around him to the left. And the little boy noticed he had company. And Paderewski whispered, keep playing. And the boy kept playing. And Paderewski began to compose and play Chopsticks, counter melody. Keep playing, he said. Play on, son, play on. Well, by the time it was over, the little boy wasn't being scoffed. He gets a standing ovation. A theme on chopsticks. 
by Paderewski and a five-year-old boy, son of a washerwoman. There are times that I come to the Lord in prayer and I feel like I have nothing to say. And what I do have to say, do you even want to hear it? Oh, yes. Play on. Pray on. For the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. He's not outside of us simply coaching. He's inside of us, guiding us how to pray as we ought. And when you get to that level, I tell you something else precious happens. When you get to that level, you will begin to pray the mind of God. How do you know that'll happen? Here's how you know that'll happen. You'll see somebody at church and you'll say something to this effect. You know, at about 10 o'clock last night, I got so burdened for your son and I started praying for him. Are you kidding me? Pastor, did you at 10 o'clock I heard a screech of the brakes and I looked out there and my son had walked out into the traffic and just barely was missed by a car. If you live long enough and you learn to pray enough, you're going to see more and more things like that happening. Suddenly, your prayer life is so in tune with God. By the way, I was asked this question yesterday, and I, and I want to go ahead and address it right now real quickly. Um, appreciate the illustration you gave about the girl that you prayed for and she was healed. How do you know? I mean, how do you know when it's not God's will? How do you know when it is? I will say this. There are three things, and I think there was one thing I left out that, that I, I wanted to share with the brother. Number one, pray the prayer of faith. And if you're in tune with God, God's going to bolster your faith to pray in such a way that you're going to know that you know that you know and just pray that way. Number two, if that prayer doesn't come forth, then like what Paul said happens with the thorn of flesh, there is great grace that is given and you understand. But there's a third thing that I want to say that I think should be said and, and can be said. All of us have had this happen. You have prayed, it did not come through. You have prayed, and grace is not given. And now it's a conundrum. I had faith, it's not happening. I don't even have grace. What do I do now? Here's the hard thing. But to have a successful prayer life, there are times when God doesn't give you the answer yet. And therefore... You trust him no matter what. I know that may sound like a cop-out, but it's really not a cop-out. It's biblical. Curse God and die, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why is this happening, Job? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. He took away because. He didn't have any because. And yet God said his whole attitude was above all the men on the earth, he has shewed evil like nobody else. You know what he was saying? There's nobody on the earth that is closer to me than Job, but I'm not giving Job the answer. Matter of fact, when everybody asked Job, when everybody asked God the question, God never came back in the last part of Job and answered anybody's question. He said, where were you? What were you doing when I was creating? Why are you, hey, when the sons of God sat out of her joy, what do you think you, who do you think I am? There are sometimes you just say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Okay, well then blessed be the name of the Lord. You are still God. You're God, I'm not. I don't have the answer, but he's still good. The Lord is good. 
And he cannot do otherwise and do with good. Psalm 119 says, I wrote in the margin of my Bible, he cannot do otherwise. See, everything God does is good. It may not appear good. See, all things are working together for good to those that love God. It's all working together. for. It may not be interpreted good at the time, but it ends up being good. That's when you trust him no matter what. My late great friend, Lester Roloff, dedicated our, one of our buildings 62 hours before he died. I was in the plane that he crashed in three weeks before he died. One of the holiest men I've ever met. Unusual man. He had this great closeness and friendship with God like an Abraham type thing. Just beautiful. He was preaching a revival meeting and a guy came forward and he said at the altar, Lord, I hate buttermilk. And then he said, Lord, I hate salt. Lord, I I hate baking soda. Finally, Brother Roloff got down on his knees and said, my brother, what seems to be the problem? Well, Brother Roloff, I was just telling the Lord, I hate baking soda and salt and buttermilk, and he was naming all these ingredients. But then I was fixing to tell the Lord, but I sure do like the buttermilk biscuit when it comes out of the oven. When I get hungry, I don't say, man, I'm dying to have a spoonful of salt. How about some baking soda? How about some buttermilk? My daddy liked buttermilk. I don't like it. it it's, it's rotten. But I love buttermilk biscuits. I'm telling you, my mama can make buttermilk biscuits so good. The first bite's a half moon. The next bite's a total eclipse. Amen. So there are times that we just have to say, I don't know what the bacon soda is about, but the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And even in that, there is a peace that passes all understanding. When you love God, no matter how you like the way that he's expressing his love to you. But when you get angry with God, and you get this bitterness, and you get this coldness, and you get this fatalism, well, it doesn't matter if I pray or not. Does it do any good? Stop it! Stop it! You know why people don't get along? It's not what they say so much, it's the way they say it. It's okay to question the Lord. Lord, I don't understand why. Are there any? But don't dare come to God. Why? No, it ain't right. No, if you got what you deserved, and when I got what I deserved, I'd go to hell. You know that. The fact that you have any breath at all, the fact that you're going to heaven at all, is the grace and goodness of God. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. I don't like the buttermilk, but I will take that. If you believe that's what I want, then that's what I want, even though I don't want it. (laughs) Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that whole attitude is going to protect your prayer life. You're going to be a whole lot more likely getting that prayer answered that you really want to get answered if you keep that right attitude toward God. But don't ever get in that cynical mode of getting sarcastic with God about your prayer life and don't give up no matter what. You have not because you ask not. So keep on praying. Get along with your spouse because if you don't... You may not get your prayer answered. As a matter of fact, you won't get your prayer answered. So that's very, very important. You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, Join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit EnrichmentRetreat.com.